So, so quick now, what was the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth after his resurrection, right after he said, ta-da, right after that? <coughs> you heard, you, we know it. Oh, God, we know it. We heard it over and over and over again. Shalom. Shalom. Peace. I, I, if that were me, I, I, I'm afraid I would not be that understanding. I, if that were me, I'd go, where the H-E double hockey stick were you when I needed you? You abandoned me, you denied me, you ran away. There was not one of you there at the cross except for baby John, and he didn't know any better. That's what I would say. <laughs> That's not. And this is a great revelation of God. This is the great revelation of the risen Christ. This is the revelation of the God who is all merciful because before they earned it, before they confessed their sins, before they said a word, they're forgiven. They were forgiven. So that's the mercy of God. You know, shalom in, in Hebrew also means God. And it, 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 is, it, it is holding nothing against anybody. He, he says it Twice, and then he does the most remarkable thing in the world. He turns to them and he goes, He breathes on them. He gives them the ruach, the breath of God, the very stuff of God. He breathes on them and he gives them the power of God. He says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is my stuff. This is the power that has given me to raise the dead, the power to heal the sick, and the power to forgive sins. And now, what I've got, you've got. Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive. They are forgiven them. And then whose sins you shall retain, and they are retained. And I want to say this as, as unequivocally and categorically as I can. This message is not just for the 12. This is for everybody who has received the Holy Spirit. At baptism, we have received the Holy Spirit. We have the power to forgive sins. The best confession I ever made in my life, I made to my blood brother Joe. And I knew when I was done confessing to him, I was set free. All the priest does is he's got the power to forgive third-party sins. But if anybody has directly offended you, you have this incredible power not to hold it against him or to hold it against him. But I want to say something about that because, because forgiveness and by the way, and you know it as well as I do, that two-thirds of Jesus' teaching are all about forgiveness. Forgiveness is enlightened self-interest. Because when you forgive somebody, you not only set them free, you set yourself free. Why? Because whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. If you decide not to forgive, you don't have to forgive. You can hold them in their sin. As the, the Pharisees held the woman staring at her in her sin. You can hold them in their sin. But oh, are you going to pay a price? 
Because if we decide to hold someone in their sin, we have to stand guard at the gate. And until we set them free, we will never be free. And every time we see them, the offense, no matter how terrible it was, is just as fresh today as it was in 1952. That's why it's so imperative. That's why we are given this power. You see, forgiveness is for the sake of the future. Otherwise, if we are held in our sin, well, then we are defined by the weakest, most vulnerable moment of our life. God has no desire to do that at all. One of the greatest sins between a, a husband and a wife may be an infidelity between one or the other, and if they decide to hold them in their sin, that relationship will never be healed. Never. It's for the sake of freedom and of the future. And so we are called today to do what God does. God holds nothing back. It's all grace. Now we know the story. The, the, the ten were locked in the upper room. He comes through the doors, appears to them in the upper room. Uh, ten days later, or several days later, Thomas shows up and he says, what's going on? He says, well, we've seen the Lord. I don't believe it. And we call him Doubting Thomas. Now, I don't know if that's the right title for him. I think he was probing he wanted to know as, as best as he possibly could. I, 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 I won't believe it unless I, I've got some kind of evidence, unless I, I take my finger and put it into the, the nail prints and I take my hand and put it to his side. I, I'm not going to believe. Now, I want to say this unequivocally and categorically too. There's no faith without doubt. And there certainly is no faith when we have certitude. If we have mathematical certitude, we don't need to believe that 2 plus 2 is 4. We know it. But to believe is to, is to make that leap into something that we might not have any external evidence of. And he has no external evidence at this point. But though the next week the doors are locked again, it really makes you wonder how fast these disciples are. Have they locked the doors again? And he appears and he this time calls Thomas forward. I think there's two great lessons here. Thomas comes forward and he says, Thomas, take your hand, put it in my side, take your finger, put it in the nail prints. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Now, I like Thomas. I, I like his doubting. I like his wrestling. I like his probing. I like his questioning. And sometimes thinks the questions are much more important than the answers. Catholic answers make me very, make me very nervous. But the questions are great. So he's, he's questioning God. But, but, but God is saying to him, don't, don't persist in your unbelief. Do believe. And then he says the most remarkable thing. He looks at the one with the holes in his hands and a hole in his side, and he says, my Lord and my God. What is this saying about God? Two things. One, God holds nothing against anybody. There is no condemnation in the divine. Two, our God is a God who suffers. 
got to get God off that divine throne sitting in heavens judging humankind. It is the God who comes down into the ultimate suffering of each individual and each community and each tribe and each faith group. It, it comes and suffers with us, one with us, in our pain, in our hurt. Oh, how God is, is suffering right now in the midst of this unjust, unfair, terrible, horrendous war. And yet, our faith, oh, Thomas, you believe because you saw, blessed are those who do not see yet still believe. Our faith tells us, contrary to all the external evidence, that nothing is wasted in the economy of God. That redemption is going on. We need to be part of that redemptive process. That means for us to forgive and to suffer and to stand in solidarity with those who are suffering. Now, this is the season of resurrection. It's the season of life. We, we look for that wonderful life of the risen Lord and that wonderful life dwells in each and every one of us in our exercise now as he sends forth his disciples from that locked room to open the doors of the Spirit of God and spread it to all we meet.